Hello and welcome to You Me and the Economy. Continuing the privatization of profit-making banks, the union government is going to lift the 10% cap on private shareholding in public sector banks. This is happening at a time when the economists close to the government like Poonam Gupta and Arvind Panagaria support the privatization of all public sector banks except the State Bank of India. In other news, India is set to take over China and become the most populous country in the world in 2023. My name is Kavita Kabir and here is your weekly roundup of economy and finance. The new session of parliament is filled with tragic attempts by this government to amass more revenue at the cost of common people. Amending the Banking Act in the coming months in session, the union government is planning to lift the 10% cap on private equity in public sector banks. Removal of the individual shareholding cap allows private equity firms to own more than 10% stake in public sector banks, the center shortlist for privatization. Looks like the Central Bank of India and Indian Overseas Bank are listed for privatizing as suggested by the Niti Aayog. The union government's push to privatize profit-making banks defies economic common sense. The net profit of PSP is increased by 109% to over 66,000 crore in 2022, and their operating profit increased to over 2 lakh crore. Further privatization of banks will result in revocation of reservation policies for the socially marginalized. It would lead to closure of rural banks and much more. It seems the privatization spree won't stop with just two banks. The economic advisers close to the government are advocating for privatization of all public sector banks except the State Bank of India. Members of the Economic Advisory Council to the Prime Minister Poonam Gupta and ex-Niti Aayog chairperson Arvind Panagaria advocated this in a paper presented at India Policy Forum 2022. This paper presents several reasons for privatization. arguing that public sector banks did not fare well in the 2008 financial crisis compared to the other banks it also claims that social objectives can be fulfilled by regulating the lending of private banks it also claims that social objectives can be fulfilled by regulating the lending of private banks and that the change of ownership is necessary for better management If the authors of the paper had any sympathy for the common people and if they had really tried to see the day-to-day workings of the public sector banks at least their arguments would have been stronger but in fact their recommendation is just lip service to the government who is anyway waiting to privatize as much as possible it is imperative to point out again and again that public sector banks are not only making profits but have also been instrumental in redirecting credit for social objectives they have provided employment to millions and implemented reservation policies the mounting npas of the public sector banks are not because of their functioning but due to the lending to the corporates startups were supposed to fuel india's growth engine in the economic survey earlier this year ananta nageshwaran boasted that India has become the third largest startup ecosystem in the world after the US and China. The number of new recognized startups had increased to over 14,000 in 21-22, 
from 733 in 2016-17. Riding on PM's grand ideas around Startup India, many in fact believed that startups would be the growth engine for India. Many of these convictions, however, have been hit by severe turbulence in the last few months. Indian startups raised 33% less capital in the April-June quarter this year compared to the previous quarter. They raised only $1.6 billion in April 2022, which is almost half of the capital raised last year in the same period. Geopolitical instability, high commodity prices, inflation and higher interest rates are some of the factors that have contributed to the turbulence which many are terming as the funding winter for Indian startups. And from what it looks like, it will be a long winter. Industry estimates peg the cumulative job losses in startups at over 10,000 so far this year. And experts are of the opinion that the worst is yet to come. Nevertheless, at its height, the startups were responsible for hiring just 0.1% of the labor force. We are referring to the jobs provided by over 4,000 startups in the year 2020. So no matter how fancy Startup India or self-employment may sound like, there is still no alternative to creating actual jobs. In other news, the world population is to reach 8 billion on November 15th. In what may sound alarming, India is going to replace China as the most populated country next year. This is from the UN report released on World Population Day. This is truly a moment of reflection for the entire world as we head towards a chaotic economic crisis and a heating planet. What's happening in India at this moment is quite the opposite. As ruling party politicians, the likes of Yogi Adityanath, have attempted to blame a section of the population for the increase. While the NHFS report released in May clearly shows that the Muslim fertility rate has witnessed the sharpest fall over the last two decades as compared to that of other religious groups including Hindus. The divisive propaganda about the minority community continues unabated. This distracts us from other somber reflections that were merited at this point. What we need to focus on are the actual effects of it. In the next 25 years, one in five working age person is going to be an Indian. This is because India will be riding on a demographic dividend, while several Western countries will be dealing with an aging population. But a big working age population does not translate into a number of workers and certainly not into decent working opportunities. The job crisis has reached such an extent of frustration that millions of Indians are exiting the labor force entirely. Only 30% of women aged 15 and above are employed in wage work, family farms and businesses. With declining fertility rates and better education, more women would be eager to join the labor force and our inability to create decent jobs would only translate into wasting the demographic dividend. AIIB or the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank announces its first overseas office, likely in Abu Dhabi, as it aims to expand its global presence. So far, its office was in Beijing, but Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates has emerged as its new preferred location. As the Multilateral Development Bank gradually expands its reach worldwide, 
the availability of overseas offices to match its growing clout is essential, says Gao Lingyum, an expert with Chinese Academy of Social Sciences in Beijing. Selecting the UAE as the first overseas office could be linked to the bank's increased dealings in the Middle East. It is also due to the UAE fitting the bank's selection criteria, notably its superb connectivity to the bank's global membership. The UAE is one of the AIIB's founding members. The AIIB's sixth annual meeting was held in Dubai in late October 2021. This was the first time that the bank held its annual meeting in the Middle East. If you want to know what goes on in the World Bank and IMF meetings, you can register and know more very soon. Their annual meetings will take place in person from Monday, October 10 onwards in Washington, D.C. Registration is available for all categories of participants, delegates, observers, guests, civil society organizations and the press. Registration for civil society organizations will open on August 8 and registration for all other categories will open mid-August. You can also join virtually and follow the public events on IMF and World Bank digital platforms. Keystones of the annual meetings are the plenary session, the development committee and the international monetary and financial committee meetings. Other featured events include regional briefings, press conference and fora focused on international development, the global economy and financial markets. The IMF and the World Bank Group will continue to monitor the worldwide health situation and, if needed, amend its plan in accordance with relevant World Health Organization and Centers for Disease Control guidance. Various civil society groups are currently discussing the implications of the decision for the organization of the Civil Society Policy Forum. Additional information on the schedule and registration will be available online closer to the meetings. Find more in the description link. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more news and analysis, head to our website www.senfa.org and keep listening to Yumi and the Economy.